If you will, please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, if you don't know already, we are purposing to find ourselves this whole year in the Old Testament. And so we're going to be coming from our first passage at least every week from an Old Testament passage, which which uh, has been really fun to do and, and to, you know, uh, to search out with you. And I would encourage you to read the Old Testament. You say, well, it's really difficult to read the Old Testament. I would agree. It actually is difficult to read the Old Testament, but it is necessary. Um, it is necessary, and there's no better way to learn than just to simply do it. Uh, so let's, re- let's begin reading here in 1 Kings, probably somewhat of a familiar passage to many of you, maybe for some not at all. But 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to pick up in verse 9. If you actually read above that, that was our reading moments ago when we read together in our responsive reading. Notice these words, and I'm going to skip for a moment, but I'll tell you when I do it. In chapter 19 of 1 Kings and verse 9, there... He came to a cave. This is after, by the way, he ran for 40 days and 40 nights. It was about 150 miles to Mount Horeb or Mount Zion. This is the same mountain uh, of God uh, that more than likely Moses was at. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now we'll skip down to verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, at Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed Him. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word. Holy Spirit, would You speak now in, in and through the foolishness of preaching? Would You say some things that matter to people in this building this morning? And would you then give us the faith to respond to you with all our heart? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what's easy to do is to get comfortable. 
It's easy to put, put it on cruise control. It's easy to look around and say, ah, I'm doing pretty well. It's easy to look around and say, you know what? Things are doing pretty well. I mean, it, yeah, there's things happening out there that are bad or down the street that are awful. But in general, I mean, it's not as bad as some people say it is. And in particular, I'm not as bad as other people. And we get comfortable. Sort of like my rocking chair at home. Uh, no words. I've got this chair that I bought. And I really like it. And, you know, it's, it's sort of the chair that I sit in most of the time when I'm in the living room. You probably have your favorite chair that you sit in as well. You know what I'm talking about here. And, and I sit in this chair often. And, and I, I, the other week I came back from a trip and I sat down in it and almost fell over when I leaned back. Uh, the chair was broken. And, and I don't know, you know, what uh, led to that or precipitated that. Probably one of the four children that are in the house may have done that when they all four sit on the very back of it playing their DS or whatnot. But I sat in this chair and it's leaned over and I'm all gimped up and, and kind of almost falling over this way. And, I, and I, so I left it like that for a couple weeks. And I finally got an opportunity yesterday to turn it over and try to figure out what was wrong with it. Well, I ended up actually fixing it, which is always a nice feeling. You know, you feel more like a man if you are a man. You feel more like a woman if you're a woman. And, uh, and I turned this chair over, and I'm fixing it. And I got it back in working order. I'm like, oh, well, okay, so it was just these couple things. Luke. And I set it back down, and I finally sat in it. And it was like a completely different chair. Now, now, now here's the thing is... The chair had been broken a long time. But because I sat in it every day and it slowly happened, I didn't realize how bad of shape the chair was actually in. I was actually sitting upright. And that had been a long time since I did that in that chair. It just naturally, I thought it was just, you know, sitting back a little bit. But it actually was not meant to be like that. And finally, I sat in it last night. I'm like, man, this is really nice. To have it working properly and even lifting back properly. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, yeah, that's how we get. It happens over time. We don't really see it much. We get very comfortable sitting in our own brokenness. That we can't see it. Now, if you would have come there, you'd be like, man, what's wrong with this chair? You probably did do that. You probably already thought my chair was messed up when you sat in it. Some of you have sat in it for small group. And you probably made a comment about it, but I couldn't see it. I couldn't tell the difference because I sit in it every single day. And in your life, there is brokenness. In our world around us, there is brokenness that we sit in day in and day out, and we don't even recognize it. Other people see that brokenness. Other people almost flip over because of things in our life we finally come to some crashing moment where we almost topple over or whatever that thing is in our life topples us and that's when we finally say, man, what's been wrong this whole time? And the whole time we've been in need of renewal. Revival. You see, 1 Kings 19 holds for us um, a lot of good stuff. I mean, a lot of things happen in this chapter. I mean, you've got Elijah fleeing from Jezebel and Ahab, which are sort of the epitome of a bad pagan mix of Israelite king and pagan lady. I mean, they, they literally led the people away into Baal worship 
full on, full throttle forward, you know, no holds barred, all the way until they were killing off God's prophets. And the whole nation, when you read Kings, almost the entire nation, both Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah in the southern kingdom, go wholeheartedly into pagan worship of Baal, or commonly known as Baal. And Baal is a fire god, he's a storm god, he is a fertility god which means that all of the sexuality in Canaan would have been under his oversight. Uh, Typically, the storm god is the fertility god because he's the one who uh, the rain comes and fertilizes the earth. And you can figure out the rest without me having to explain it like I do in college. Um, And so... Baal is this God who is a Canaanite God. He ultimately is a delusion. He is not a he at all. He is an it. And the gods, when you study them of the myths and other religions, are always impersonal. They're as impersonal as the tornadoes that came through here in 2011. You could have talked to them if you would have wanted to. They would not have responded. They do not respond. There's only one God that responds, and He is the only God. Three persons, one God, one God in three persons. And so Elijah here is sent to the northern kingdom, that that awful kingdom of the two kingdoms. In other words, when you get to the book of Chronicles... Elijah and Elisha, these two premier prophets in the Old Testament, actually are not even mentioned. And the reason is because they're northern kingdom prophets. And in Chronicles, the chronicler is not concerned with the northern kingdom because they did not have even one king that followed God. Not even one. Now, Judah was a mix. Judah is the southern kingdom, you'll remember. They have a mix of people who are both good and bad. And if you would like a list, I can send you a list. It's sort of a funny list of telling you who is good and not so good and very bad and bad and evil and so on and so forth. And so here we find ourselves this morning, if I could just place you in the context very briefly to say this, if they did not have this revival with Elijah and Elisha, they were done. The religion of Yahweh worship would have been over. This was it. They were going wholeheartedly after other gods. Without these two characters, these two figures, these two prophets stepping up, hearing the call, and initiating revival, even a small revival, not for the northern kingdom, but at least for the southern kingdom because of some of the stuff that they were able to do. Uh, we today have Christianity as it stands in the Judeo-Christian tradition. But without them, they would have literally slipped into oblivion, forgotten Yahweh altogether. And God could have raised up somebody else, yes, but it wouldn't have been Israel. And so, don't we find ourselves in a similar context? You see, when you compare Elijah and Moses, there's a lot of similarities. They both run away. Remember, Moses runs away after he kills the Egyptian. They both go to the mountain of God, Zion, Horeb, 
Sinai. They also both uh, hear from God in a very powerful way. They're also both at the transfiguration of Jesus, Moses and Elijah, talking with Him. They both have interesting deaths, if at all, because Moses, God has His own funeral for, and Elijah is whipped up in a whirlwind from a chariot of fire. You see, Elijah breaks in in the book of Kings out of nowhere almost. And for eight chapters, he dominates those chapters. And then Elisha takes over and dominates eight chapters as well. And in these 16 chapters, you actually have a revival sort of miraculous prophetic calling. And isn't that what we need? Isn't that what we need for our nation? For our own lives? It is so easy to sit in a broken chair and not realize it. And we're sitting in a country that is broken. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to prove that to you. We are a people that is broken without Christ. And we must be fixed. And so, Elijah is this character for us this morning who represents sort of us. We can get depressed. That's one reaction to what's going on. We can get depressed. And I've, and I've tried to steer you away from that. But even so, we get depressed in our own lives sometimes because of what all is happening. When it's coming down on top of us on, in layers, as the, as the old aphorism says, you know, when it rains, it pours. Seems to be true. When this is happening, we can despair and get depressed like Elijah does. Many scholars have looked at this and looked at his life and said this is a a clinical textbook of depression. He goes away, he's by himself, he's self-loathing, he says, I'm the only one you've got, God, and they're going to kill me. God says, you know what, you're actually not the only one. There's 7,000 people that have not bent their knee to Baal. So don't act like you're the only one. There's a lot of things to be preached from here, but what I want to preach this morning is how to be the remnant. I mean, we could stay here for days and years and, and glean, but we have to be focused. And what I want to focus on is, is our response should not be like Elijah here in the sense of this self-loathing. I'm the only one. Look at what I'm doing. Because even that can lead to not seeing our own brokenness. Not being honest about ourselves. Because when you look around, that's not the rubric. When you look around, that's not the measurement. Jesus is the measurement. And I, I would dare say that we all have work to do when we measure by Him. So how can we be the remnant? And I just want to share four things briefly, and that is look up. Look up. Look up because there's no one above God. You know, it's natural to trust people that are taller. They've actually done studies, and people that are taller just seem to us naturally to be more trustworthy. It's nothing against shorter people, but it's just that when you do psychological studies, we just tend to trust people that are taller. When things go bad, we often look up in the sky and say, Why? I mean, you never see a movie saying, Why? They're always asking up, not down. Even the pyramids all the way to our skyscrapers 
have us looking up. At the beach, you look up and the stars are immense over the ocean where there's no artificial lighting to obstruct. Unbelievable sight. We look up. Humans have always looked up to the heavenly bodies as we've called them. We're fascinated with looking up. Even from from architecture to our physiology with the head being really the most important of things that control the other operations in our body. All the way to the president, to kings, we look up to a point. We naturally tend to think somebody's running this thing. You don't walk into a business and just assume everybody's running it. There's someone at the top. There's somebody, there's this one figure. Even in a, in a structure where there are multiple people on a team, there always emerges this leader. This one that people defer to. And I think that physiological makeup, that subconscious, if you will, has been placed there so that we look up. But we look beyond just the presidency, beyond the skyscrapers, beyond even the stars and the galaxies themselves, all the way to the top. The big cheese. The one running everything. The true president of the world. The true king over kings. The head pastor, Jesus. That's what we do if we're a remnant. We don't get depressed. We don't run and hide. We don't go into a cave. We look up. We look up to the One who can save. We speak His name and He comes running. He promises us that. He promises that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be opened. If we would. If we would. But if we look at our situation, if we look to ourselves, if we just simply look around for help, we'll never receive true help. Not from above. We'll never see the miraculous happen in our own lives. We'll see others celebrate the grace of God in their lives. We'll see others delivered from sin, empowered for mission, but not our own selves. Not as long as you keep the head here or here. No, you must look up to God. Posture yourself with the eye of faith to see God. God has made it possible for us to see Him with the eye of faith. He gives us that kind of faith. It is possible to look up. And He will be found. And when we look up, He will come down into our hearts. Isn't that what He's already done? Here's the second thing. Being the remnant, I think we have to look back. Think of the times that you doubted. Those times where you had strong faith. Think of all the people that have passed before your lenses. The places, the things, the experiences that you have had. Nobody else has had them. No one can live your life. But you've had them. They're your experiences. It's your life. It's your moments. Look back. You've seen what your actions can do. Both good and bad. 
you've seen that you cannot trust yourself even in your best moments. That oftentimes you're your own worst enemy. Look back and remember also the experiences of God you've had. The powerful moments where you knew Jesus was in the room. Undeniable. Cherish those moments. Remember me, Jesus says. Almost palpable we have felt Him. Seen Him moving. Just as we did in the lives of people last week. Look back even to the dark nights of our soul. Where like Elijah, we went and hid in a cave. Where we weren't hearing from God in the earthquake, in the fire, in the wind. But we waited and then we heard. You see, you've overcome a lot in your life. God's grace is evident in your life. His fingerprints are all over your life. His providence is made evident when you look back. I mean, just really think. Don't just hear the rhetoric. Actually think about your life this morning. And see God's grace and how it has been poured out over you all of these years. I mean, you've made it a long way. Some of you longer than others. Look back and recall the day when you surrendered to Jesus. That day when you realized you could not do it and you cried out to Him. Remember that day. Because through remembering, things become clear about the present. When you finally gave up, hit your knees, cried out to God, and knew you couldn't save yourself, that is a day to remember. Do you see that? Do you have that? Do you know that experience? If you don't, this morning you can. Why wait? Why even now wait? There's no structure for crying out to God. No, we don't wait another minute. What is more important than making sure we are right with God? You see, you say, well, you don't know my past. And that's correct, I don't. Maybe I don't even want to know some of the things. Maybe you don't want to know some of those things. You know what the good news is? Jesus can wipe that clean. Amen. No matter what you've done, that is past. You cannot change it now. But God can forgive us and clear our name. Justify us. Declare us right. But He doesn't stop there, does He? He not only wants to declare us right, just as the judge in the courtroom declares the person who robbed right and sends them on their way, but He also wants to change our heart in such a way that we no longer want to steal. That we no longer want to do the things that we tend toward? Why wait to respond to God? This season of small groups going into the fall and the winter, we're going to change some things up. And we're going to be, begin to focus on transformation. 
and not just information. You see, if we get all the information, but we never live it out, it is worthless. It's oftentimes funny to me to see counselors or preachers or psychologists or teachers that know everything it is to know everything there is to know about their field and yet their marriage is a disaster their family is broken they know the right stuff and yet they themselves are not transformed that is the danger is to sit in our brokenness and act as if it's okay to compare ourselves to others and say it's okay. No, what we need is a great faith. We need to labor in love. We need to hope in Jesus Christ and grow in His grace. When we look back, we see that clearly in our lives that He has been there all along. He has been faithful to us Will we be faithful to Him? Here's the third thing. Look ahead. Not only look up and back, but ahead. And what you're going to see again is is hope. Believing that God is able. You know, some of you are facing things that would shock us if if you were to share them. In other words, our mouth would be on the floor if you really told us what you're going through. What's happening in here, what your struggles are, where the battle is being fought, where your theaters of war are. We'd be shocked, but God's not. He sees it all. All the time. And I don't know because I'm not a seer, but you and God know. And here's the good news. Whatever you are facing... He is able. Whatever you're facing. I mean, it could be the largest mountain you've ever faced in your life. The largest wall that's ever been built. The deepest kind of relational problem you've ever thought of or dreamed of. The thing that couldn't happen, that did happen. And you know what? God is able. He can not only bring you through it, Maybe kicking and screaming sometimes. But He can bring you through it victorious. And then what He'll ask you to do is share that with other people who are going through the same thing. Do not be like Elijah and say, you're the only one. You're not the only one. It's happened more than once. Nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. When we look ahead... We must look ahead understanding our past. One of the things uh, when studying Judaism is they actually walk into the future backwards, what we say normally. So they walk into the future like this. And the the reason that's important is because they look back on what God has done as they move into the future. At least the true Israel. (laughs) Not these ones that are worshiping pagan idols. And you know, I think that's a good model for us. Say you're having financial trouble. You know what? God has brought 
Jessica and us through some crazy financial things before. And, and I'm just telling you, we've had all from $400 being found in our mailbox, which is exactly how much money we actually need. $400 in cash, not just a check. When we told no one, we just prayed. To people that generously just gave to us out of the blue, but we actually were in a needful situation. I'm telling you right now, if we look up and call out to Him, He comes to help. When we just look around or look down, it's not going to help anything. He is able to bring us through whatever we might face. I believe that because I've seen it over and over again. Not only in my own life, but in the lives of brothers and sisters in the faith. Not just in America, but all over the world. Think of what they're facing in places like Iraq, places like China, places like India and Africa. It doesn't mean it downplays your situation, but it just should give you courage that you're not the only one. Do you see the plans that God has for you when you look out? Has He even downloaded that to you? Because I promise you He wants to. Listen, you say, well, I don't really know where to go in my life. Then seek Him. I don't really know what to do with my life. Then seek Him. He is going to be the answer no matter where you go through. He's the point. He's the one who knows you more than any other person in the world. He can bring happiness and satisfies your life like no one else. He can make every new day seem like new. And so when we look ahead, what do, you, what do we see? Do you see yourself serving in different positions? You know, here's the challenge this morning that God laid on my heart for all of us, and that is some of us should be preachers and teachers, and we're still being served. This is what Paul tells. He says, look, you're still on the milk of the Word. You should be on the meat of the Word. So you're still dabbling down here when you should be growing up in grace. You've been a Christian long enough now. You should be serving and not being served. So when you look ahead, what do you see? Just more, oh, I hope the music's good today. I hope the sermon's good today. I hope I can make it to church today. Paul says, look, you've got to get past that. Those are basic, simple requirements. 52 times a year we meet. I know you can't make all of them. But you know what? That's not a lot and a big commitment to God who should be the most important thing on your schedule. Serving. Some of you have been served so much in your life by both God and other people and you've not served anyone. You just sit on the sidelines. You say, are you mad at me? No, I want you to enter into the joy that Jesus has for you. I've been on the sideline before. I've been messing around before. And not doing what fulfills my life in Christ. I know that when you enter into what He has for your future, you're going to be blown away by it. I mean, you're going to be surprised by it. You won't even recognize yourself anymore. Which is an awesome thing. Here's the last thing. 
Not only do we look up, not only do we look back and ahead, but we also bow down. And that's, that's this is a tough one. The rest of them are fun to do and, and good. They're all good for us. Bowing down shows our submission. It's a term we don't even like to use much in Christianity. There's an entire religion based off of submission. Actually, the name in Arabic is Islam. Maybe you've heard of it. Islam means submission. Muslim means submitter. But you know what? Just because they have a religion called that doesn't mean we don't do it. Just because we're American doesn't mean we don't submit. Paul says, I have become a slave of Christ. I have bound myself to Christ. Why? Because He knows where true joy lies. Not in doing what we want to do. Filling ourselves with all the things that we try to fill it with. But instead, He knows that when we hit our knees, that's when the heavens open. It's this funny thing in the Bible where death becomes life. Where ashes become joy. Where a cross becomes salvation. There's a lot of those oxymoronic types of things going on in the Bible that always surprise us. He likes to use the small things. He likes to use the weak ones. You say, I don't really have much to offer. Great! That's who he's looking for? The person that's got a lot to offer, he's not going to be able to use them. Haven't you gotten it already? You've been in church a long time. That should have been preached to you. That should have been taught to you in your life. Is He likes to use those people who are weak. Those people who are on there. You say, I, don't, I, don't, I only have this one thing to offer. Then offer it. Do you remember the lady who had just the two mites? Which is less than a penny. She drops them in there. She says, whoa, guys, 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 guys. Check this out. Did you just see that? Like, yeah, she dropped, dropped two mites in there. I mean, yeah, that's fantastic. That's really going to help the church budget, you know. Look at this guy come behind him dropping a big bag of money. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. She gave all she had. Have you ever come to a place, honestly, where you can say that? That you've given all you have to God. You said, Lord, this is not my family. This is not my job. This is not my life. It's yours. When I was uh, young and, uh, you know, I, I really was in love with my mother, kind of like Ty is with his mother. And the rest of the boys. Uh, they're obsessed, I often say. And uh, they think about her night and day. And so one of the things I would do is I would go out into the yard and there were these flowers that I would pick for her. You know, I'd gather up these flowers, spend time going around the yard, picking up these flowers. And then I would present them to her, you know, and she would, she would kind of like teary-eyed, oh, thank you so much, you know, I love these. And she'd put them in a little vase or whatever. Come to find out they were weeds. Um, 
they were actually just weeds that were in the yard. They weren't nice roses or the stuff you buy at Publix, you know, uh, when you're leaving the grocery store. But instead, they were just these dandelions and like these other types of weeds. And um, but you know what? She didn't just see dandelions. She saw a little boy that loved his mother and was giving all that he could. You know what? You say, I don't really have much to give. Then give that to God. Amen. You say, I, don't, I might be even picking weeds, man. That's alright. Give it to God. He sees more than you can see. And you know what? Just like with the boy with the fishes, two fishes and the five loaves of bread, he multiplies it to feed over 5,000 people. What you think is insignificant actually isn't in God's hands. He is able. But we must submit. We must drop to our knees just like Elisha did. As you read the rest of the story here, Elijah, and I would encourage you to do that this afternoon, Elijah throws his mantle on a fellow as he's walking past on the road and that fellow's name is Elisha. He throws his mantle on him. Elisha then goes, tells his family bye. He goes back out, kills the oxen that he was working on, takes the plow that he was working, makes an altar, burns it all, and leaves. He counted the cost. He accepted that cost. And he chose to follow Elijah. Have we ever been at a place in our life where we can say, you know what? Take it all. It's yours. I'm willing to lay it down. It's yours. Let me tell you, if you get to that place where God is willing to do that in your life, you better watch out. He's about to set you on fire. Elisha is this powerful prophet who comes after Elijah. Does more miracles than Elijah. Here's the good news. He is willing. God is willing right now for you to lay it down. Some of you for a long time, you do this thing where you're back and forth. back. Stop. Stop. Bow down to the King. Submit yourself to Him. Give Him everything. There's this song that um, that uh, my brother and I really like, and uh, it's, an, it's an old school song from Five Iron Frenzy. And um, in a similar way, I often revert back to this image that's seared in my mind from from a concert that Justin and I went to uh, many years, many many years ago um, in Atlanta. And it was a concert that, uh, you know, I'd be appalled to go to now, but uh, at the time it was, pretty, it was pretty fun. You know, we had some people there that we were seeing that were actually Christian bands, two Christian bands. Anyway, we go to this thing. I mean, they're dropping expletives like it's nobody's business. Every word out of their mouth is an expletive. They're hating, you know, the presidency and our nation and the world and God. And, I mean, just throwing it all to the wind. And, you know, there's drugs and alcohol all around. It's, 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 it's just this really this cesspool of wickedness and representation of wicked art. 
And in the midst of this, on one of the stages, they had like six stages. On one of the stages, over to the side, there was Five Iron Frenzy, who's a Christian band. And there's this guy who sings this song, and the end of the song goes like this. And it's a prayer. He says, Dear God, increase. Healing hands of God have mercy on our unclean souls once again. Jesus Christ, light of the world, burning bright within our hearts forever. Freedom means loving without condition, without a beginning or an end. Here's my heart. Let it be forever yours. Only you can make every new day seem so new. And then that man dropped to his knees in the midst of the wickedness around him and he started singing, I love You, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship You. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what You sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And as I looked at him, he had tears in his eyes. I think that's a picture of what we're to be in our world. The world around us is hateful. It's a wicked place. We are called to bow before the King and live in His grace in the midst of that. That's the mission. That's the battle. Are you willing to join me in bowing your knee to our true King and making your allegiance in heaven? In giving Him all like Elisha did? Willing to burn it all down and follow Him? Jesus is Lord of all. Bow before your God. Amen.